Welcome, everybody, to Boz to the Future, uh, which is a new podcast that we're starting. Uh, I am conveniently Boz, Andrew Bosworth. People call me Boz. That's why the name makes some modicum of sense. The premise of the podcast was simple enough. I've been doing a lot of conversations lately uh, with various uh, podcast hosts and out in public. And what I've noticed is that the incentive for most of them is to go really broad. They want to cover a lot of ground, a lot of different topics. And the opportunity that, I, that uh, we saw was to try to go deep instead and to really linger on the implications of technology and explore and kind of plumb the depths of them. Uh, and so that is the premise of this. And I think we are uncommonly well-suited uh, positioned, I should say, to have that conversation given the work that we're doing in Facebook Reality Labs, which is the group that I have the great pleasure of leading in conjunction with my first guest, my good friend, Rebecca Van Dyke. Rebecca, hello. Well, hello, Boz. Thanks for having me on your very first show. <laughs> it's you, You're stuck with me all day, and then I, I rope you into this. Uh, so thank you for coming. Um, you know, Becca and I, working on Facebook Reality Labs, that's working on augmented reality, on virtual reality, on telepresence, on the future of work. Um, we ju it just feels like we have a front row seat to what the future is going to look like. And every now and then we get even a glimpse, uh, maybe years in advance of anybody else, of what the future could be. Uh, and so I'm really thrilled to be here um, with Becca to, to kind of explore some of these topics that we have, uh, you know, whether it be technology, sports, entertainment, so much more. Um, so, Becca, actually, I kind of want to start with a little bit more of a robust introduction for you. Um, you came to Facebook as a marketer. And then you left Facebook, came back again as a chief marketing officer, and then now you're in really kind of a, a chief operating kind of role, vice president of product operations for Facebook Reality Labs. Give our audience, which I'm sure there are many by now, this is where we're four minutes into our first ever podcast, so I'm sure that people are just beating down the doors. Give them a little glimpse. T talk about what the, the work that you oversee and then more broadly you know, in the world who you are, like what you care about and, and why you're here. Um, yeah, thank you. I'll do a little run up to how I got here, and then let's talk about being here. As you mentioned, uh, I came to this role as a marketer. I've um, had the opportunity to do marketing for brands and businesses such as Nike and Apple and Levi's. I then came to Facebook uh, and worked on marketing the Facebook brand and all of our social apps. Uh, as you alluded to, I did do a quick little walkabout. Uh, I went to Spain <laughs> for a semester abroad with our family and took some time off. And when I was coming back and looking around at where I wanted to work, what I really wanted to focus on was a place that was both the hardware and the software experience, as well as some working on technology that would downright, frankly, scare me a little bit. Something that was <laughs> scare me in the sense that it was unknown to me. I wanted to learn. I wanted to stretch. So lo and behold, the perfect opportunity was right here at Facebook when we started to get into different brands and businesses in the AR VR space. So initially, uh, Oculus was one of our first brands. I was able to play there for a while. We've now introduced Portal, and we'll talk about some of our others. But I've really enjoyed my role helping translate what this technology and the benefits and the values are to consumers and to people. So I started out as a marketer, and as you alluded to, I, I now run a group of um, – several different functions and disciplines, all of whom our role really is sitting at the border of our technology and our products 
and the consumer. So that could include disciplines like analytics and growth and marketing and sales and comms and partnerships and policy and privacy uh, and several others. But that's uh, so that's my role now. And this is I think some people will be a little bit surprised, I think, that, you know, hey, for the first uh, podcast about the future of technology, you know, the thing I really would like us to spend the time on is is the role this technology does play uh, in in all of those different fields that you're coordinating with. I've said this a bunch on interviews, so it won't be super new, but I do think it's kind of it's profound in its own way as hard as all of this technology is to build. And some of the stuff is up against just pure physics boundaries. Uh, all of the custom silicon and the displays and the waveguides and the micro LEDs, as hard as those things are, I have said repeatedly, I think the hardest part of this technology isn't going to be building it. It's going to have it be something that people find acceptable, that they find that they are willing not just to exchange their hard-earned money for, but then to actually wear, you know, because we're talking about wearable computing. We're talking about devices for the face, for the wrist. Um, and, and, you know, let me just give the, the reader at home an image. Go look at virtual reality today. Um, and as proud as we are, because the Oculus Quest 2 is a, is a true wonder of a device uh, and it's it's selling great and we love what it does. It looks odd on your face. And as a mammal, you like don't want to have all of your vision obscured like that. It's just like there's no mammals who like that. Zero mammals who care to be in that kind of an environment. Um, and it kind of, you know, so it looks goofy and we have to overcome these things in VR. It's easier because you're kind of in your house or you're kind of in a controlled environment and there's expectations, there's fewer expectations there, but you know, for the other technology that you're going to be out and about in public for, it's a really interesting set of challenges. You know, talk me through Becca, um, just a couple of the biggest things on the, on the horizon for you. And there's everything you've got, you've got, you can choose from design to policy to, you know, privacy. Talk to me about like, the biggest things that you see as for, let's use augmented reality. It's, I think it's useful to, if you're going to go deep to have a single vehicle, augmented reality, we're talking about glasses. They've got always on cameras, microphones, processes. They're connected to the internet. They're putting information in front of people's faces. Um, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a huge shift. It's the kind of shift that you say motivated you to come back because you, that was, you wanted to learn about the technology and understand it and, and hopefully demystify it. What are the challenges ahead if we had that technology in our hands today? If it's all right, I might start with what are the opportunities and my hopes, and that will pivot into some of our challenges as well. Uh, yeah. When I and, and maybe what I'll do is I'll start with what are my hopes and what are the problems that we can really solve for people, and then let's go a little bit deeper into some of these. But at... Um, at a, at a high level, I'm really excited. This is a, um, a phrase that you use a lot, but this idea of overcoming distance, this technology really can help us um, not only shorten gaps, but make me feel like I am with my loved ones who are far away. Um, and we, we can, uh, Portal is a great example of that today, short little anecdote. I just saw my mom for the first time after a year and a half of mm. this pandemic. And what was amazing is I have been very present and I've been able to hang out and cook in my kitchen with mom every Sunday, if not more. We almost saw nice. each other more this year than in other years. So I felt like I hadn't missed a beat, but what I did miss was her hug, not to get sentimental. Oh. Well, yeah, I'm going to get sentimental. So I missed her oh, hug, nice. I missed her touch. So I was able to see her this weekend in person. But I really felt like that distance of a year and a half had uh, 
no no content, no information was lost. Our conversation just picked up. Yeah. So one thing I'm excited for, whether it's Portal or AR, we can talk about that or VR, I'm excited about this idea of just closing that distance gap. The The second thing I'm very excited about uh, and a an, uh, an opportunity, a hope for all of us, is that this technology can give us access, access to things that we don't normally have. Uh, I could, I could take courses, I can do, um, I can continue my education. Uh, we have a great experience in VR I was watching called In Protest, and it is the behind the scenes view of what it's like to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was able to watch that, um, there's one that takes place in Minneapolis. My daughter is currently in college in Minneapolis, and she's out there being an ally and and uh, showing her support. And I felt like I was there with her. So access to experiences I couldn't get. And then I have two more for you, Boz, if you'll go with me. The third is, you alluded to this also, I'm, I'm um, excited for this opportunity where inputs and displays aren't limited to the screen that I'm looking at you, that... Uh, my inputs can be intuitive. They can be my hands. They can be my voice. It can be my eye contact. Uh, and that um, the technology, the computers can fade away. And then the last thing, the fourth thing I'm excited about and feel great responsibility for is just greater transparency. Uh, this is one of the reasons I took the job in the beginning, because I, I didn't quite know how this technology was going to play out. I want to yeah. be a part of making sure that we build this technology in a way that people understand what it is. They understand how their data is being used. They have choices. They can choose to um, give us information or not. And then they know the value exchange. They know what they're getting and what they're not. So I'm excited that we get to build this this uh, technology from the ground up. So those are my, my four things. Clearly, I was prepared for that question, but those are the four things that I'm hopeful about. You were. I want to tell people this actually isn't a scripted conversation. This is just Becca is always prepared for that for that question, and you do actually get a good sense of how we work together from this exchange. Where I'm like, "What is the problem? Let's jump to the problem." And Becca's like, "Hey, there's some good stuff. Let's talk some good stuff." That is a uh, the the consummate uh, Becca and Boz interaction. The Becca Boz combo. A, a it really is the the one two punch uh, that we we offer the world there. That was nice. I'll, let me extend that since we did it. You know. Uh, to access, I'll add accessibility. These things have tr tremendous promise, uh, not just for people who are currently have some disability uh, across a huge spectrum, especially as it relates to the senses, the visual or auditory senses, but also people who have who, who don't have a disability, but who could actually have greater ability. Um, and of course, access, yeah, from, from a jobs, not just education, which you mentioned, but also from jobs and employment, uh, untethering those, these, those things from geographic uh, Location, which is such a, a crapshoot, such a random lottery, birth lottery, as opposed to a true equitable access to opportunity, the benefit is to humanity, uh, who gets to harness more of the brilliance uh, of the minds across Earth, uh, and also to all those individuals who now have greater mobility uh, on the on the backs of their own hard work and and and, and opportunities. So, uh, these are exciting technologies. They promise to empower people with superhuman abilities, access, education connection to people they love. These are all good things. You just listed th four great ones. I listed two more. These are good things. Why wouldn't somebody adopt them? See, that's such a better framing. Maybe we should script these. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? I'm going to answer that, and then I'm going to turn it back to you uh, to, to actually go deep on the AR question that you asked me, because I want to hear from you what you're, like, if you take some a specific use case, what gets you really excited? 
let's say the idea of glasses or smart glasses or AR, one of the things that we need to really think about as we're making these products and things that could be potentially really great for uh, everyone is to be able to just, um, if we have cameras in our glasses, let's say, to be able to quickly just take pictures. I could take a picture of this moment right now, um, make you giggle, send it to you right away. There's some really easy convenience. I love this idea of letting you see what I'm going through. So you can see the the um, the world through, literally through my eyes. I'm so excited about uh, being able to connect and communicate and use these as um, a connection point. Um, what we do need to make sure, this doesn't exist yet, what we do need to make sure is that we do bring consumers along for the, this ride. This is a yeah. A behavior change moment. This isn't behaviors that we're used to today. We're not used to wearing cameras uh, in these places. So how how can we help people um, feel comfortable with that? And what can we learn from people as we go? We maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the research we're doing. But how are we learning from people to make sure that that they will be comfortable, that they do know when these cameras are on, that they do know what information is being collected and what's not being collected? And that is uh, some of the exciting work that we have to do right now. Can you take us a little bit deeper on AR and and some of the research we're doing? Yeah, I mean, so the you've mentioned the obvious one, I think, which is yeah, cameras. So uh, super convenient for consumers. Can can you know we know today how cameras are one of the driving features for smartphone adoption. Uh, people want better cameras. They like to have access, access to camera. People literally will take their phone with them and they'll turn off all the features. They want to have the camera with them because they we're so habituated now to being able to capture an image, capture a video. Uh, sometimes, uh, most often, that's obviously commonplace. doesn't mean it's not meaningful to us, but they're everyday moments. Sometimes they're profound. You know, you think about George Floyd and the trigger that that represented. That's been going on forever, but now we have near ubiquitous access to not just recording devices that are of good enough quality, but also distribution through things like social networks that brings visibility to those things. And those are powerfully good examples. We can also think of powerfully bad examples uh, where, okay, what is the access from a subpoena standpoint to governments? Uh, That's a question in the United States. Uh, It's an even bigger question in authoritarian regimes overseas. Um, Who has access to this information? Uh, And if it goes to a corporation, that's subject to subpoena power. Um, At what level of the system does the image exist? Um, You know, if I explicitly take a picture who knows about it? Uh, are we blurring faces? No cameras that we have today blur faces. Are we blurring license plates? No cameras today that we have blur license plates. But somehow it feels like the easier the camera is to get access to, the more sensitive it might be. And then let me take you one step further. This camera will always be on. Now, it's not always recording in the conventional sense. It's not a, it's not, it's not a VHS recorder with like the red light blinking. It's not always recording, but it's observing the world. Why? So it can give the consumer information. So let's, you know, hey, there's a fast moving car approaching. You you need to pay attention. Whatever the thing is, it needs to have contextual awareness. One version of this, the cameras aren't even consumer accessible. There's nothing you could do to get the image off of that. A different version, of course you can take a picture. It's a camera on your face. It'd be weird if you couldn't take a picture. And this is what I'm trying to get at where, um, when I talk about the depth of these problems, um, they're super deep. Let's 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 move away from photos, for example. And, and you're right, we are doing research here. Our project Aria work uh, is is trying to figure out h- how to even do the work 
of of doing what we call egocentric capture, capture of a photo that's kind of from the human eye point of view. Um, and then we're obviously having large public discussions, including this one. Uh, this one's more guided. Obviously, I do quite a few with journalists and more critical audiences as well um, on these ideas. Let's. But the camera one is almost the easier one because I'm like, okay, people understand what cameras are to some degree. Let me get to the superpower ones. This is one that I haven't heard often. You, you and I talked about the power of, of access and accessibility. So somebody who has these glasses, they're going to have access to education. They're going to have access to empathy. They're going to have access to superpowers, potentially. Superior vision. Uh, different spectrums of, of light that they can see. I don't know. I'm making that up. We're not building that, but we could. Um, you know, what you can get mantis audio? shrimp vision. Like being in Absolutely. a crowded room. You know, I just had a conversation today with somebody whose whose wife has congenital hearing loss, and uh, there has been a boom in uh, prosthetics for for hearing over the last few years since it was deregulated. You're seeing a drop in price and an increase in quality and a drop in size, which is what you love to see. But boy, these could be completely conventional looking glasses that allowed you to hear somebody in a crowded restaurant when otherwise you couldn't hear them. Um, and those are powerful opportunities. And we think, wow, that's great. How do we feel if everyone else has them and we don't have them? <laughs> you know, how do we feel when these things are going to be expensive day one and they may themselves provide access, but they themselves may not be as accessible as we'd like because it's just new technology and it just takes time to buy your way down the curve. How are we going to feel as a society when I have glasses on my face that give me superior vision, superior hearing, superior memory and all this great stuff? And the, the person next to me doesn't have it. Do we feel good about that? Probably not great. You know, I'd love these to be for everybody. Um, or what about another one? Well, what's interesting about that, if I may, is that we, um, and, and I'm, I love that we're asking all these questions because this is our job. Normally, as technologists, we build products uh, for the user. What's great yeah. about this conversation is what we have to do is, in this case, what you're talking about is we actually have to build products for the non-user. Or as the bystander, yeah. as we call. And that is um, a really interesting uh, and important difference to how we have to think about this new technology. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, this is often framed in terms of democracy as it relates to the Internet technologies. Never mind, it's a little tricky because not all democracies are equal <laughs> um, or even all democracies. Um, but the the so I think but this is even, you know. This could be acute even between just two or three people in a, in a space. Um, and you could imagine people saying, hey, can you take those off? You know, I don't feel comfortable with you wearing those. Um, and what does that do broadly um, to people's appetite, willingness to even harness the benefits if it feels like it's not fair, it's not equitable? Um, and I don't think we have great solutions for this. Well, and some of that, we need to ask people for that. Like there, yeah. has, there has to be new behaviors. There's, um, you know, the uh, behavior of going out to dinner and putting your phone either face down or away yeah. in your pocket. What are the, what are the behaviors that, um, will, uh, that we can't even imagine today that will become a normal way of interacting with this new technology? And some of it we can uh, learn ahead of time and we can do the research ahead of time. Some of it, we're going to have to be pretty nimble and adapt as we put products out there and see how people are using them and, and then adapt as well. Yeah. And I, the, there's some threshold that is being crossed here. You know, no one has a problem today if somebody has difficulty hearing and they put a hearing aid in. No, no one's complaining about that. Um, and if the hearing aid was doing other interesting things like, hey, letting you know that the 
the light turned green or the crosswalk. You're like, oh, that's, that's fine. There's just some very fuzzy, and it's not in the same place for every human threshold of when it becomes, hey, like you're getting an unfair advantage at life <laughs> as a consequence of this tool that you have access to. Um, and this is the kind of stuff as I'm trying to, you know, bring the readers along this exercise. And this is what we plan to do. And we'll do it a different, uh, a different podcast. We'll do it with different parts of the technology stack. Sometimes we'll explore the implications of what does it mean when you have a ubiquitous display? What does it mean when you have uh, always on cameras and sensors, what becomes possible? And a lot of times those will be framed, um, in terms of the opportunity. So I thought it would be, you know, wise <laughs> at least to start with the other conversation, which is like, what is the risk? Um, I am, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, I think technology curves do lend themselves towards being more accessible over time. Um, to take VR, just because it's an easy example for us to point to when the Oculus Rift came out five years ago, the total cost of ownership was about $2,000. You know, the headset itself was, uh, I think $800. And then you had to have at least a $1,200 computer, um, attached to it. And today the quest is $300. So you think, wow, you know, it's a tremendous reduction in cost over just a five-year period. And, and uh, I, you know, there are asymptotes, so they don't get, it doesn't keep lowering by that uh, amount over time, but it does become accessible for some definition of accessible. Um, and I hope the same thing happens with AR, but, you know, given how expensive it'll start, I think it's a, a steeper curve potentially. And, and the technology is so much more novel. I mean, there's just, there's going to be no volume. There's no way to do these things cheaply, it turns out. Can we talk about time frame? We're talking about, yeah. um, and, and maybe it's helpful to start with what are some of the products within FRL that exist today? What are some that are on the near term? And then what we've been talking about are some on the far term and how far out is that? Can you give us a chronology? Yeah, well, this is exactly right. And so I think um, this, I, I, this is, again, this is not a planted interview, This is, but this is the strategy that we've tried to adopt to answer these questions, as Beck has mentioned, uh, is to talk about them openly, the transparency is so important for us. You know, we're not trying to, no, principle number one for us is never surprise people. Uh, you can ask anybody, you ask them, hey, what's boss's responsible innovation? Principle number one, they'll tell you, is never surprise people. Um, and so transparency, talking about it. Another one is doing the research, literally, that's through focus groups, that's through pro programs that we're doing. Uh, but there's a third one, yeah, which is like, can we introduce these technologies progressively <laughs> to, to the world? I mean, Becca, listen, this, this is, I'm not gonna take all the fun. Talk to people through what we have coming this year. Let's start there. Um, sounds like, uh, sounds good. You know, though, I do like turning the tables and making you I answer do. all You're, the questions. <laughs> it's, it's a real competition for who can be the host and who can yeah, be right? the, the guest I know on this, this is one. your show, but okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, let me, let me talk about what we have coming this year. We have, or what we already have um, in the market. Let's just start with that. You mentioned yeah. Oculus. We have uh, a product called Oculus Quest which is um, so fun, and we can talk about that as well. But one thing that we have been able to do with every generation of Oculus Quest is make it lighter and bring the price down. So this gets to that point about accessibility. How can we get more people playing uh, playing in these devices and using these devices and learning in these devices? So that's one. Um, well, we also... me, before, before we move on, and, and it's, it's happening, right? We want... We... Playing was where we wanted to start because play is so important. And sometimes play, people can trivialize it, but play is an important thing. Uh, and I use, you know, really using that word important. It's an important part of how people connect and create communities. And so I do think games are important in the long term future, but we are seeing people already graduate into fitness. 
Uh, there's a lot of demand to do collaboration. There's demand to, I think, I personally think mindfulness and mental health is a huge opportunity for this. So, you know, we see this as a general compute device. And I think people seeing a novel technology like virtual reality march along that curve from niche to mainstream does soften the ground a bunch for technologies like AR. And virtual reality has some of the same pieces. It's got cameras on the outside that help it understand the world around it. But they're cameras, you know, and and, and people are finding a way to, to understand that and be comfortable with that. So I interrupted you, forgive me. I, I just, I, I could, I think that people do underestimate the degree to which VR is actually one of those pieces on the road to helping consumers understand augmented reality later on. And that... That's that was a perfect point. Um, Oculus uh, is and VR is the product that we've had in the market the longest. We've been able to learn from it the most, uh, and yeah. we almost take for granted the journey it's already been on. So thank you for reminding us. This this was a brand new thing a couple of years ago, and now uh, it is a most sought after holiday gift. That was my little plug. Uh, <laughs> nice, well done. Yeah. Um, and the other product that we have in market today is Portal. I referenced that earlier. Uh, it's actually what I'm talking to you on right now. Um, and this is a device for feeling very present and connected with our family and loved ones for sure. We also use it for work quite a bit. And it is a way to have uh, an additional screen and to feel very present with people at work um, as if we were in meetings together. So those are the two. Oculus and Portal are two products in market today. Great holiday gifts coming up this year, <laughs> coming your way. Okay. Once a marketer, always a marketer. You can't, yeah, you absolutely. Port, uh, and Portal and Portal TV both, I think, are good examples too, where the innovation is like video calling isn't novel. What was interesting was people like attaching the graph, the network of people you want to talk to, whether it be Zoom um, more recently uh, or traditionally, you know, Facebook and, and WhatsApp to a camera. That's even better. I'll do you, that's, that's still a cell phone. I'll do you one better, which is the com we, we attached a computer to it. <laughs> like we attached a computer to a camera. And the computer is being smart. And so as Becca, you can't tell this because it's a podcast and you're on audio, but as Becca moves around, um, the camera follows her. And that makes it easier for her. She's actually on her feet. She's moving around. That gives her a sense of dynamism. She's not tethered to this like three foot, you know, anchor where her arm's getting tired and she can't fit someone else in the frame. It's uh, these people underestimate these little things. It seems like such a small incremental step. It's a huge step. It's also an expensive step. You have to add a computer. You know, it's like you're going from a very simple device to a much more complex one. It also is another introduction vector for some of these technologies. It is an augmented reality capable device. Right now we're using it to tell stories to little kids. So through our story time feature, which is fine. That's where things start. Um, but, but candidly, I think over the long term. You know, there's no reason that couldn't be a whole marketplace where we're doing pose estimation and we're helping people do workouts, we're helping people do uh, classes. Like, that doesn't have to be on a portal device. It comes from a camera attached to a computer where the computer is helping understand and process the scene. And if you, you know, so I think people think of portal as being very far from AR glasses because the hardware is commoditized, but it's not in terms of what the themes are, what the, what the capability we're trying to unlock is. So, okay, I'm going to bite. You You. You officially, every time I toss it to Becca for something, she finds a way to get back to me. Uh, let's talk about this year, smart glasses coming to market. And Now, we've been vague about the specific functionality of the smart glasses. I'm going to continue to do so. I think one of the key features we haven't been vague about is they're going to look great. Uh, we're partnering with the literal world experts, the team at Lexotica, uh, Ray-Ban. Uh, they make 
the best sunglasses in the world, and they make the most sunglasses in the world. And I love it when those two things line up because we know it's not always the case. Uh, I got to tell you, Becca, we flew out and met with that team uh, and I was just blown away. Yeah. The the neat thing about partnering with them, we've talked a little bit about what we can learn, what we are learning from consumers as we're doing our investigation and our development, but also learning from our partners. When we went to visit Luxottica, they just blew us away with, um, I mean, just how they, they're manufacturing. Uh, they're so yeah. innovative in so many different ways. And I feel really lucky that we're getting to learn from them and partner with them on these glasses. Yeah. We saw some of the craziest like cutting edge manufacturing techniques. And you'd think, hey, you know, here's a huge company, very successful, has these brands. They could just be milking it. And they're not. They're just, they're absolutely, they're really passionate and dedicated about what they do. So I love working with them. So one of the features of these glasses, to my point about social acceptability, how do you make these things okay, is they have to look good. Uh, and listen, everything we do isn't going to look as good as a, as a clean pair of Ray-Bans. They're not all going to be as light or as comfortable. Uh, in the early phases, because we just that's just not how technology works. You have to kind of get it out there and iterate into smaller form factors, lower power, uh, efficient. But uh, but these are going to look great. Uh, and I, we, we know that because we've you and I both have a pair. I might um, be wearing them right now. You don't know. You could be. <laughs> yeah, as far as, the audio, as far as the audio people go, you don't know. We might both be wearing them. All right. Can you I'm going to I'm going to do it to you. I'm going to ask you a question. Talk about smart glasses. We earlier were talking about AR. Can you just briefly talk to us about the difference between smart glasses and AR in the future? Yes, absolutely. You know, for me, augmented reality really means digital artifacts that are in the real world with you that your brain is convinced are there, are real. Now, they don't have to be perfect, but you, you know, I really don't think you, I don't consider um, augmented reality to be, hey, you have something over one eye where you've just got information overlaid in your face. That's a really convenient screen, perhaps, um, but it's not augmented reality. Um, you know, augmented reality has to be interpreting some of the scene around you, being able to place virtual objects that are, you know, interactive in the space around you. You expect, you know, sure, it's not going to be perfect in terms of occlusion. So if something's hidden behind something, maybe it'll miss it sometimes. The lighting may not be perfect in terms of relighting, so it matches the lighting of the scene. But your brain is like, yep, that's a that's a box that, as far as my brain is concerned, is there in that corner, but it's not really there. It's digital. For me, that's augmented reality. I think you could have one display and have it be pretty useful. Could be very useful. That's a screen. That's that's we would you know we might call that uh, smart glasses. We might call that um, a look aside display. There's a lot of names for that. Then there's also just what I'm what I'm calling smart glasses has no display at all. Uh, but they are more capable than glasses. They're connected. Uh, the, and as a consequence, you gain, just like uh, the portal gains from being a computer attached to a camera, so also with these glasses. Now, I will admit, I'm still being pretty vague about the feature set. As I said, it's going to look great. It is going to combine things that people have seen before. They're, they're completely, they're, they're all things that people have seen before. And they've even seen before on glasses, though not on one set, and certainly not in one set that looks this good. And it really is, uh, I think the smart glasses will give us a chance to test the first wave of questions that came up here for you and me, Becca, around uh, cameras and microphones and how people respond in public. Um, and there's a computer attached to that and, and there's uh, you know data usage and how, how do people feel about that? Um, it's completely conventional a lot of ways. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, guess what? We have cameras. We all, every person I know has a camera in their pocket at all times and we take it out all the time and take pictures. Um, so, you know, we're, it's a toe in the water. I think it's a very safe toe in the water. I think it's going to go well, but I think it's a toe in the water. But it is designed to start bringing consumers along 
and also finding out where the limits are for them. And so that when we go to a, frankly, a much more expensive to build, a much more costly program to develop um, uh, with full augmented reality, as I've described it earlier, which is, yeah, probably several years away at the very least, you know, I think we've certainly not, not happening this year, next year, or the year after that, uh, maybe the year after that actually starts to get, maybe three years from now, we start to see some things from competitors, the industry's waking up. I think the real solution is probably still three or four years away, maybe even five. Um, we'll see things before that and we'll get a glimpse of it and we'll all know what augmented reality is, but that will feel to us, uh, maybe like VR felt six or seven years ago when it was, yeah, you can kind of do it. You can see these prototypes they are strapped together, but there, it didn't, there's not an ecosystem. There's nothing to do yet. That kind of a thing. Now I want to be clear, augmented reality does exist, but not in the consumer sphere. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of what Magic Leap is doing, what Microsoft's been doing with HoloLens. Um, you know, there's there's people out there doing, I think, great work on augmented reality in the industrial, commercial, military, enterprise sphere. Um, it turns out that just is like a very different space. <laughs> you know, I think you can take things from industrial enterprise into, you know, businesses, into the homes. Computers made that journey. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, that's a long journey. I don't think we're trying to wait for that long, you know? So as long as my, our time horizons are, are out in the term of decades or in like a decade, that's multiple decades. So I, I, you know, we're trying to go straight to consumers where I think it's a lot, very, it's very different. You know, we hear about Apple, we hear about Google. I think we're doing work there, obviously. So, so it's a little different there. There is, can um, I just clear, there yeah. is people hear about AR, there is augmented reality today. You even reference it on Portal. You know, so yeah. we we have something called Spark AR. We have AR effects. Uh, so again, just this, this this theme of putting putting products out there, learning from them uh, to then help us build this eventual future. I do want to just point out we actually do have some products with AR out there. You're right absolutely now. right. Well, listen, dear listener, you uh, I think Becca's officially won the host game, and we have to call this thing Becca to the future in the future. It's not going to be Boz to the future. Uh, Becca's the host now, and I am just a guest, which I'm totally comfortable with, by the way. I uh, love love the, 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 the banter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So certainly you're right. And Spark AR qualifies as AR because, you know, when the, as far as the camera is concerned, we are overlaying digital artifacts onto a real image, whether that be a selfie camera where we're overlaying filters or, you know, some, there's actually some games, things that people have done, or if it's world facing. And there's lots of great applications there. Some of them are really fun from a standpoint of, of transform the world with these world effects um, or things that are uh, more practical, like replacing furniture in a space. And, and, you know, we're using that to shop and to understand scale and proportion. Um, and so, yeah, phone-based augmented reality exists and is here today and is actually quite successful. I mean, Spark AR is, is powering, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of creators who are, who are uploaded, I think, you know, millions of effects over time. And consumers are engaging with that every day. That's obviously not just on our platform. You see uh, Snap is doing the same thing. There's quite a few platforms for doing it. I think ours is the best, but of course I'm extremely biased. Um, and so and, and so that is that is very exciting. And I do think that's another important part of the long-term picture. Having things that are actually useful, you know, is, is a big part of it. Um, I think one of the fair critiques of Magic Leap 1 even with the hardware they delivered on the time when they delivered it being quite impressive was the software wasn't there. There wasn't much that you could do with it. Um, and so all fine and good. You solve all these hard problems of technical design from a hardware perspective. 
let's say we solved, Becca, you and I, all these hard problems of social acceptability, where there's a whole other hard set of hard problems, which is what do you actually do with the thing? How do you build an ecosystem where people are able to be entrepreneurial and build experiences that fill not just the common needs of every person, but the niche needs that people have in the same way we've seen happen on the web, the same way we've, we've seen happen on the phones, uh, mobile phone ecosystems over time. Um, and Spark AR is really uh, laying the groundwork for that, laying the groundwork for a generation of creators who understand what it is to work in these types of augmented environments. Um, and so, you know, I, I hope the reader gets a sense of how far out we're looking and how we're trying to tie all these threads way back to an anchor today. Like what can we do right now with a thing that takes steps incrementally? And they're gonna be missteps. They're gonna be steps that are wrong, but you can survive that if you just have a plan far enough back. We're not, it's not like we think everything that we've laid out is gonna work <laughs> the way that we planned it, but we are trying to work back. That is the premise of this podcast is just taking these threads because that's what we do for a living. And it's so rarely covered in the media. And also this is a podcast. And of course there's a vacuum going and like a leaf floor outside my house. So fantastic. Anyways, uh, Becca, I want to, I do want to try to turn the tables on you. We talked a little bit about um, the smart glasses, obviously. We've talked about the more distant vision for augmented reality. Talk to me about some of the use cases that you imagine being so important in the future. You, you know, you touched on them earlier on education and work. Like, what do you think are the critical use cases that augmented reality is going to love? I'll do uh, some of my favorites, and I'm sure there's more. But education is the one that comes to mind immediately. Uh, I love the idea of being able to maybe walk through a museum or walk through a city uh, and get it cues about what I'm seeing. I always have questions about... Uh, putting putting where I am in historical context. I would love to get those cues. So I think there's some really great things on education. I guess I also pivoted to travel a little bit to for tourism and just uh, information as, as we travel through, uh, as we physically walk through new environments. Uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for fitness. Uh, fitness is, you mentioned we're seeing it in VR. I don't know what that means in AR, uh, but I can, yeah. I can imagine it. Uh, I, I can, um, I can imagine, um, I'm a soccer player, as you know, uh, I can imagine working on skills, uh, using some sort of glasses with AR effects. Yeah, absolutely. And I, let me, let me extend beyond fitness to health. You know, I think, you know, one of my favorite stories, actually, this is, this might be apocryphal. If a reader corrects me, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send him a prize of some kind. Um, what I had heard from our health team was that the reason 10,000, you know what, why there's 10, why 10,000 steps is the number that everyone perceives? It's repeatable? I don't know. Tell me. Because the Japanese character for 10,000 is like a little running person. Um, and it was just like a clever, like it's a, you know, that's like a, that was like a useful thing. It was a Japanese, step counting first became popularized in, in Japanese consumer electronics. Uh, if that's not true, then forgive me, but I do will say I've, I have very recent, as recent as today even, spoken to real medical professionals who confer. There isn't like a magic number, like 10,000, congratulations, you hit 10,000 steps a day, you live forever. If you don't, I'm bad news. It's not like that. It's just like, it's a nudge in the direction of better health and 10,000 is a nice round number and maybe also looks like a running man in Japanese kanji. I actually don't know. Um, and and so the stuff that we have today is getting in the health direction. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy nudge. The Apple Watch has some really exciting things as it relates to certain conditions of, of the heart, you know, in terms of the what, what it's able to detect. It's, it's a toe in the water. 
the the future here is so deep, though, um, and you've got things like the Nation of Singapore uh, uh, sponsoring Fitbits for people who want to have a Fitbit. Uh, anyone who wants one can get one, and the country will pay for it because maybe it nudges the whole country towards health. They've got nationalized healthcare, so it drives their health costs down. I think my point is like I do think health is such a huge opportunity here um, because these devices, these wearable devices, are going to have be able to potentially have sensors that are really powerful for an individual to have much greater ownership over their own health data and working in partnership with healthcare providers. Now, I'm not building medical devices. That's not the goal. But if I can build devices that help people take their own control, their own initiative of their health, I'm, that's, that's exciting. And also just think about the, the ability we have to connect that with uh, some of the things we've learned about on our social applications, like groups. So one thing that I yeah. helps me with fitness is motivation um, and being able to either track my progress, share this with friends. So imagine being in a, today we call it a Facebook group or whatever that looks like in the future, and being able to uh, be in a race together to, um, okay, it doesn't have to be competitive. It could also just be <laughs> cheering each other on, like you got this, Boz, you got this, Becca. And so we ha- the, the fact that we are uh, Facebook and we have, um, we are powered by people that that opens up a whole nother level of opportunity. So I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, so we've talked about connection, obviously at the heart, you know, the access, the sensors can give you a lot of information just about yourself, but also about the world around you. And so the reason I wanted to end kind of circle here, we're we're low on time is because I hope the listener gets this. This is how deep this stuff is. We didn't even get all this, you know, in terms of the social inhibitors, the social challenges that we face getting this technology to be understood, accepted. Um, it's, 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 uh, is it attractive? Is it comfortable? Uh, does it make my friends and people that I'm with feel uncomfortable? Uh, does it, is it actually worth the wear? Is it something that I, I find is worth the cost? Is the value enough? Um, does it look good? Is it, totally, does it look good? Does it conform to the mores of the country, the region that I'm in? Uh, is it safe to use from for, for me living in a democracy? Is it safe for me to use living in an authoritarian place? Is it safe for me to use uh, in communities that are impacted by things like uh, racial profiling or police violence or who aren't who don't feel safe with the government? Like, man, it's such a huge breadth. Um, and just like with everything that we're doing technically or with the product is designed to get ourselves out there in a position that is defensible, feels comfortable, feels good, is well thought through, but also allows us to respond as we generationally advance the thing. So each thing that we do doesn't stand alone. It's part of a broader orchestra. So this is a great conversation. I think we'll we'll get back to these themes in future episodes. And, and obviously, Becca, you'll have to have me back on your show uh, in the future to do that. I, well, I, I'm, I'm tuning in. I can't wait to see where this goes. I don't know how this ends. One idea I have that I want to do with each guest is take a different topic and go super deep on it with the last few minutes left. And then I'll also have a, a lightning round. So you brought up sports and it's, a, it's one of my favorite things to talk about is my, my, my uh, hypothesis that sports match to media. So baseball was a radio sport. Uh, football is a TV sport certainly appears to be the case that basketball is uh, an internet sport, although esports are, are on the rise, obviously. But basketball with a smaller rosters, smaller number of, of personalities, very easy to get clips uh, into things. There's personalities that you know play out over the course of a season uh, and interact in interesting ways. 
basketball strikes me as a really as like the quintessential sport for the web. And soccer, by the way, was the li- great live sport. You know, you know, I both play. I, I was. I did not play soccer at the level that you did. You are much better at soccer. Please don't shoot a goal on me. I was a goalkeeper. But soccer was a, was a great live sport. You know, soccer is one of these sports that I still I like going to a game live. I really, it's it, you know, all my listeners in Europe, I apologize. I really can't bring myself to enjoy a televised soccer game. I just tune out on my phone too much. But I love going to a soccer game live because I, I you know, I pick up on so much of the off ball movement. I pick up on so much of the cadence of the game and the, and the strategies that they're playing. So I think of soccer as being a great live sport. I'm curious, you know, um, how do you see, is it esports? What do you think is, where do you think sports are going? Like, where do you see the trends in sport? I love this question. Uh, and in full disclosure, I wasn't prepared for this. So, um, yeah, I, no, I really, I really snuck yeah, this on you. you did your job well. <laughs> You, you know brought what? up sport, and I was like, "Oh, Becca, Becca, sports is like my it's a it's a connection to my brain." Well, where is sports um, going? There is um, there's something interesting that's happening right now uh, as we're in a pandemic, and there aren't any fans. When you're watching, say I'm watching soccer or football, yeah. depending, um, you can really hear the players because that's the the yeah. audio is picking up the players and the coaches. I just wonder if do you remember NFL films? I wonder sure. if there's another level and layer of int- intimacy and in way that we can be on the field, be on the pitch. I want to hear the players. Uh, I want to see it from different angles. Um, so that's, I guess, uh, from the spectator perspective. It, I, it's so see, you nailed it right off the gates. I feel the same way when you watch esports on uh, whether it be on Facebook gaming or YouTube or Twitch. What I think is fascinating is your each player is giving not not in the most intense competitions, the team competitions where they're using the channels, but on the one on one stuff, each player is kind of giving their own commentary, and you're just like, don't you want that for Tom Brady when he's in the huddle? You just like want to know like what's Tom Brady's angle here, and like it's not it's not revealed until later. You could watch the game that you just watched again and again with different like slices of oh, what I the narratives that. were. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, because they're so deep. I do think that uh, esports is 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 a big piece of it, but I actually wonder if um, you know when you get back to multiplayer gaming is obviously not new, but it is small relative to things. I remember when I was at, when I when I was at Microsoft for for a little bit early in my career, they used to joke they were the biggest gaming company in the world. They weren't talking about Xbox or or uh, Halo. They were talking about Minesweeper and and Solitaire because that's like the default installed thing. I wonder in AR. I wonder if things like chess and checkers and board games, which were the you know uh, pre-media indoor family games, make a huge resurgence. Uh, and people watching those games, and it's already happening. Twitch chess is huge on Twitch because they're very intimate, and that dialogue that you're talking about uh, is is something that people can kind of endlessly analyze in these games. So no, I, I really um, I really think you're right on that. Okay, we're gonna do a lightning round, and then we're at the game. Okay. Uh, what is a meme you've seen recently that sparks joy? <laughs> a meme that sparks joy. Uh, well, one, okay, there's, there are many memes. One that sparks joy is, is my um, brother-in-law sends otter, the animal, otter memes okay. to my daughters. And who knew there are a lot of otter memes out mm. there? I will share with you. You are now in the inner circle. I'm going to start sending you otter memes. I think you otter. should. Also, however many otter memes there are, there are not enough otter memes. So people out there who Agreed. are manufacturing keep those, please keep at it. What content are you consuming? Reading, watching, playing? What's your, what are you doing there? Uh, Television-wise, we just finished watching Call My Agent, which is um, French and really delightful and so entertaining. And then I'm reading a book called Hamnet. Takes pla- oh, this is interesting. It takes place in 1850s during the plague. Mm. 
it actually is the story. You don't know it until the end. Spoiler alert. It's the story of William Shakespeare's uh, told through the point of view of his wife and their huh. kids. And uh, But the whole parallels of plagues and pandemics is super interesting. All right. Do you have your phone handy? Because the next yeah. one is a tricky one. Describe the last uh, photo that you took on your phone. Um, I will do the same. This one we're both going to do because I think it's not fair to unilaterally ask for the, to divulge phone things. It's very intimate, isn't it? Um, I, I I like to cook. I did a cooking project yesterday. Uh, yesterday was it? And um, it was a torta pascalini. It's a Italian vegetable pie with eggs in it, and it's really beautiful. And I had to document it. I'll share it with you too. What's your What's on your camera? Don't share me the picture. Share me the food. That oh, sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, I will. Mine. I do Science Saturday with my kids, and oh, yesterday yeah. we got some. Uh, actually, it's Emily's Wonder Lab. Uh, it's a Netflix show. If you have young kids, it's great for the for uh, little science experiments. And they did one with phosphorescent powder, uh, a vegetable oil, water. You make your own and a, a UV light. You make your own little lava lamp. So I've ordered some phosphorescent powder on Amazon. So I've got a picture of my son with like a glow in the dark lava lamp. That he made. Yeah, look at that. See, well, you guys can't see it at home. That's we're looking we're at pictures. Boz, we're so crafty. We're Here, look we at are. That. I'm so proud of us. That was, those are really, usually it's like. Chemistry project. Usually it's just like, yeah, usually it's just some like hilarious thing my kids are doing. That's to my wife. That one's actually a pretty decent one. Becca, that was a whirlwind. Thank you for being on the first ever Boz to the Future. The world premiere. Boz, I am honored. Thank you for having me. We're going we're gonna to get ourselves lab coats, puffy orange vests, and uh, some Nike mags. And some otter memes. Outer memes. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. Uh, we are always open to feedback, thoughts, uh, guests that you think I should have on the program. So hit me up on Instagram or on Twitter at Boz Tank, both places. Uh, thank you so much. This has been Boz to the Future. Bye.